And thank you again, church, for, for being exactly who God has called you to be and for supporting each other in this way. And we're surrounded by these opportunities all the time to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be that expression of God's love for his creation. He does that through us. And so thank you again for that. All right, today for us as a church um, marks the beginning of the Christmas season. You may have noticed that behind me. We're going to step aside from our series on the book of John, and we're going to talk about the arrival of the man that John wrote his entire book about. So it fits. We're going to focus on the arrival of Jesus Christ for the next few weeks. Um, Long before Jesus came, sent by God to redeem his creation, his coming was prophesied. Men called prophets spoke of the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. They didn't know exactly when it would be. They had been prompted by God to speak to God's people about the Messiah that would come to deliver them. And so for thousands of years, the words of the prophets were recited and told to generation after generation as the promise of God. Messiah would come. Messiah was coming. Messiah would come to deliver his people. Messiah would soon arrive to bring forgiveness and freedom for God's people. And this promise was repeated over and over again in the temples as the words of the prophets were read and memorized and spoken over and over. The promise was repeated in homes as parents told their children the story of the long-awaited Messiah. Now imagine being one of those families at that time. You'd gather in the evening by the light of a lamp, and as a father, you would recall the stories of God's people and their history. Imagine having the responsibility as parents of telling your kids the story of your people and the story of Noah and Moses and David and Goliath and the Exodus, including the parting of the Red Sea and the pillar of fire going before the people. And in the midst of the stories, you read and recall for your kids the words of the prophets And how their words about the coming of the Messiah line up with all that you've learned about the history of your people. One day soon the Messiah will come, you'll tell your sons and your daughters. God will deliver his people. He'll rescue us from the oppression that we're facing at the hands of the Romans. He'll lead us into God's redemption of his people in the future that he's promised us. And you go to the table in the living room where the copies of the scrolls of Torah are kept. And you turn to Isaiah's prophecies and you read this. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And your kids know what you're talking about. A new king is coming. He's bringing God's light to the world. Counselor, father, God, and prince of peace. And his peace will never stop growing and increasing. Wouldn't it have been amazing to be alive at that time? Wouldn't you love to have been there when this prophecy of Isaiah's was actually being fulfilled? In our study of the book of John, we've seen plenty of evidence recently that in spite of the prophecies and the storytelling and the traditions and the history of the people of Israel, 
most of them missed the fact that the prophecy was being fulfilled. They couldn't see the long-awaited Messiah standing right in front of them. Today, you and I have the privilege of being able to see at least most of the picture. We know it was Jesus, and we have the opportunity in front of us every day to expand our view of that picture. We have the resources we need to add context and meaning, a deeper understanding than we've ever had before. We get to examine and learn and grow. And so in the midst of this big story, the story of the arrival of the Messiah, what, are, what will we discover this year as we look at the story once again? What does God have in store for us during this Christmas season? For us as individuals, for us as a church, what does he have for us? You get the sense that this story is never going to stop giving. There will always be something more for us as we open it up once again to celebrate Christmas together. And this year, as I've looked forward to this season and processed it with others and just taken the time to think and pray and listen, a word has really stood out to me very strongly, and that word is peace. Peace. Isaiah said that one of Jesus' names will be Prince of Peace. And remember that God spoke through the prophets. They didn't speak on their own behalf. So God said through Isaiah that his son, God the Son, would be called, among other things, Prince of Peace. And that title would reflect his very nature. Jesus would be the Prince of Peace. Isaiah also said that there would be, through Jesus, an increase in peace that would know no end. Peace would grow and grow and grow, and it would go on and on and on. So this morning, let's try to put all that in perspective, and let's be honest. If peace is supposed to be increasing, then why does it feel sometimes like there's no peace at all? When Jesus came and fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, he was announced in a very supernatural way. And Luke captured that for us in the Bible. Even, even if we can't really picture what happened that day, an angel visited some shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem, scared them half to death, and then just in case they needed to be scared just a little more, a massive army of angels appeared to join that one angel, and they praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some Bibles translate correctly the words of the angels to say, Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Jesus came and heaven announced peace on earth. The Prince of Peace had come and his peace was to increase with no end to that increase. And so here's one aspect of this that draws my attention. This would be much easier to grasp if Jesus came during a time of global war and he was able to end that war and restore peace on earth. That would make all of this simple. We'd look at it and say, oh, that's what Isaiah was talking about. We got that. But that wasn't what happened. There was peace already. The Roman Empire was securely in control. 
This era that we're talking about was referred to as Pax Romana. From about 27 BC to 180 AD, there was relative peace. In fact, until that point in history, there had never been this long of a period of peace. So that's not what Isaiah and the angels meant. Now fast forward to modern times and whatever any one of us say that we're experiencing peace on earth right now. And I get it, we're, we're not really at war ourselves. I don't get up every morning to check and see if we've been bombed during the night. I don't fear for my life. I'm, I'm living in that kind of peace. And that's how many, many people define peace. It's simply an absence of conflict. But that's only a very small part of what peace can mean. Now put yourself in the Middle East or Northern Africa or someplace like that. They're not living in peace. Or bring it closer to home and ask someone who's lost a loved one in a random shooting at a club or a school. That's not peace. And what I'm talking about here is circumstantial peace. I'm going to talk more about that in this series. If things around us are peaceful, we have peace. Our peace is determined by the presence or lack of security in the world around us. Well, then there's this other battlefield where peace is won or lost. And it's in the realm of the heart and the mind. Inner peace. If Isaiah was right, and he was, then where's this increase of peace that will have no end? By now, 2,000 years after Jesus' arrival, shouldn't the peace have increased so much that I have total inner peace, at least most of the time? And why am I so anxious? Why do I have such a hard time shutting my head off at the end of the night when I'm trying to sleep? Why do I worry so much about things that I can't control? Why do I feel like people are out to get me? Why can't I settle my mind enough to pray? Why can't I shake this feeling that's controlling me? Why won't my head just take a break? You know, the people in Senegal that we lived with greeted each other with enthusiastic declarations that everything was at peace. They had peace. They, they claimed to have peace only. They did it over and over and over again in their greetings. Well, if we moved into their society, how hard would it be to not lie when we greeted each other? Like they do. They don't have inner peace either. So here's the tension that I want to address this Christmas season. The Prince of Peace has come. Of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. Yet our circumstances have robbed us of peace. Our minds are not at peace. Our hearts are not at peace. Where is this peace on earth? I think we're going to find a lot of hope this Christmas season. I believe that we can join in with that declaration that the peace of Jesus Christ will increase with no end. I believe that's what's meant to happen in my life. I believe that's what's meant to happen in your lives. Peace increases and doesn't stop increasing. Yes, even during the Christmas season. God sent peace to earth with his son, Jesus. Jesus, in turn, said this about that peace. 
In John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever figuratively placed yourself right in front of Jesus and received his peace? Think about it. I I can't wait for us to get to this point in John's book, in John chapter 14. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he speaks some incredible words to them, including this offer of peace. It was a very personal offer and a very, very encouraging offer. Jesus is saying that he has a peace to offer that this world can't give. It only comes from him. It's his peace and he's making it clear that he's offering it. He's willing to give it to us. We're not achieving it. We're not fabricating it. This is not a matter of us simply being obedient and following his instructions on how to have peace. We'll get to some of his instructions regarding peace. But this is a gift Jesus is offering us. His peace. Okay, so let's unwrap the gift. What is it that Jesus is offering us? This is so important. Jesus wants us to have peace. He wants us to have his peace peace. I don't want to miss this. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, go find peace. He didn't instruct them to make their lives peaceful. This was not about creating an environment that will bring us peace. Jesus invites us to receive his peace. And so we have to start with understanding what Jesus is offering here. And that understanding begins with the word peace. What does that word mean? mean. Now some of you have heard the Hebrew word shalom before. That word had a lot of meaning for the nation of Israel. It means peace, specifically a sense of wholeness and completeness in life. Everything in your world is in harmony. That word was used a lot in the Old Testament. It was and still is a common greeting around the world. The New Testament in the Bible was written in Greek rather than Hebrew. And there's a word that's translated peace in English in the New Testament that's a bit of a a counterpart to the Hebrew word shalom. But linguistically speaking, we have to look closely at what a word like this means in both the Old and New Testament contexts. The word that's translated peace in the New Testament has a slightly different meaning than what was written in Hebrew in the manuscripts of the Old Testament. So let's dig into that meaning. Here's the definition for this word, irene. It's pronounced irene, not irene, which is how we usually read it. And I was going to make some come on irene jokes in here, but that's only for those of you that understand that. Okay, so here's the definition of irene. It means the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Now that's a mouthful. My goal is not to have us memorize this definition. We're going to spend the next few weeks absorbing each aspect of this word, this definition, and making it a part of who we are. That's how we're going to learn this. We're going to receive this word, Jesus' peace, and live in it. The meaning of this word begins with salvation. It begins with salvation. The Messiah, Jesus, had come to save 
And we have been saved. And that truth has to create in us a deep sense of assurance that we are saved through Christ. And that salvation leads to tranquility, to a peace. We've been reconciled through Jesus to God. Our forever is now in God's hands. That's real. God is real. Our salvation is real. And there is nothing more important in this life than being reconciled to God. Now remember that sin separates us from God. That sin has to be dealt with to bring us back to God. That reconciliation is the first and most important thing in our lives. It is the only thing that can free us, that can save us from being bound to a temporary earthly life. This is where we find the deeper, eternal, much more meaningful peace that Jesus offers us. If we don't acknowledge and affirm and embrace our salvation, we'll never experience Jesus' peace. We have to go back to the reality of being in Christ and this experience of his peace. We are placed in Christ when we're saved. We now live at a new address. Our spirit, the very core of who we are, now safely resides in Christ's peace where he is. I'm pretty visual in my understanding of abstract things, and so... Here's the image of this that I have in my head when I think about peace. Here's the picture that it brings up. Because I have been saved by God through Jesus, I now dwell in a place like this. My spirit, the core of my being, lives in the safety, security, and assurance of this impenetrable fortress. And yes, this is the Lord of the Rings castle. It's my favorite castle. I'm pretty sure it's located in Canada somewhere. (laughs) I am rooted and established here in Christ. I dwell within the peace of God. This is my center. This is my life source. This is where I abide. This is my forever reality. And I am assured here. The enemy can't harm me. I have all that I need. I am in Christ. I am surrounded by the power and presence of God. I am indwelt by his spirit. I have all the resources and forces of heaven at my fingertips. There is peace within this fortress that is the peace of God. There is tranquility here. I have been saved. I am saved. I am safe. There is no threat to peace in this place. It's not vulnerable. It's not unpredictable. It's not unstable. There is nothing that is contrary to peace in this place. And I live here, and I will live here forever because Jesus gave me this peace. I want to give you a visual that we're going to work with this season. Um, I like concentric circles, and I like Christmas ornaments, so I've combined the two, and I want to give you this image in your head. I want you to work with this as we go along. This is how we're going to approach this subject, all right? 
And I want to draw this out for you so that I can show you how I'm seeing this subject of peace. So boys, bring up my whiteboard here. I'm going to, I'm going to interact with this thing that's on the screen. But I want you to notice the circles that we're working with. At the very core of this is Irene. It's the peace that we're talking about. The peace that Jesus offers us when he says, my peace I give to you. And then in the next circle is the inner peace that I mentioned. And in the outer circle is circumstantial peace. And so I want to draw this out for you. And I've, I spent like half an hour in my office this morning trying to draw perfect concentric circles. And every single one of them is so bad. I'm like, it can't be any worse if I do it live. So we're just going to go ahead and do it. And we'll see how the circles turn out. And they're probably going to turn out better than anything I had put together when I was trying too hard. So here's what I want us to understand. That at the core of who we are is this irony, it's this peace that, that goes beyond understanding because it's the peace that exists when you are in Christ and your spirit dwells in God's impenetrable fortress. That's the peace that's at the very core of who we are. God has placed us in Christ. Our salvation has put us here where that sort of peace is available. But... There's more to it than that. There's this inner peace that we long for in our heads and in our hearts where everything is at peace. We're calm. Our heads are calm and we can rest. Our hearts aren't just flying all over the place with emotions or, or slaves to emotions. We want that inner peace. And then there's this circumstantial peace where everything around us is at peace so we can have peace. And here's the problem that we have. So many times, I think in our culture, we work in the wrong direction. I think we've been brought up to believe that we will have peace when our circumstances are at peace. And as we get peace in our circumstances, then we're going to find some inner peace in our heart and mind because it's not being troubled by our circumstances. And then when we've achieved that inner peace then we feel like we're at peace with God. And we're experiencing his peace when our circumstances are at peace and our hearts and our minds are at peace. And what I want us to understand moving forward here is the reality that what Christ is offering us with his peace is that we begin here. This is where peace originates and we work from there out, not the other way around, that we don't miss that, that he's inviting us to the fortress, he's inviting us to Irene, where we have the tranquility that is being spoken of in this word peace, and we experience it only in Christ, we experience it when we enter into his peace. I want you to think about that prevent peace in your life. We all have them. What prevents peace in your life? We all have obstacles and barriers and distractions and antagonists that keep us from living in peace. But where do they occur? In our circumstances? Of course. Of course. Things go wrong in this world. Do they occur in our hearts and minds? Yes, they do, because our emotions and our minds have not been perfected by God yet. 
But at the core of who we are, where we're rooted and established in Christ, there are no obstacles to peace. None. There are no distractions that can overcome peace. There are no enemies of peace. In God's peace. So when we encounter these obstacles to peace, where do we need to go? We need to go back to the product of our salvation. It's there that we'll find peace. We go back to our forever home in Christ where we're secure and assured, where there is only peace. And from there we return to fight the battle for peace in our hearts and minds and in our circumstances. If we spend our energy trying to create peace in our circumstances and trying to create inner peace without returning to the assurance of our salvation, what happens? Well, we try to build our own fortress. We try to control our environment. We try to self-discipline our way to inner peace. And sadly, this is the best that we'll do at building our fortress of peace. This is my contrast picture. This is the kind of fortress that we end up with. And I don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to miss the fact that it is so futile to spend our lives trying to manufacture peace in our circumstances, trying, our, trying to self-discipline our way to peace in our minds and our hearts, when this is, this is the result we get. This is the fortress. Our peace can't even begin to compare to the peace that Jesus offers us through the salvation that he provides. And so this is what he tells us. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus was talking in this passage in Matthew about peace. He was encouraging his followers to leave their place of anxiety, building their own fortresses, and enter into his peace, his fortress, his kingdom. Seek and find that place, that peace, that place of assurance, that place where you are secure, that place where you are loved unconditionally. You belong, you have value and purpose. Seek that place first. And let Jesus add to his gift by providing peace in your hearts and minds and peace within your circumstances. Jesus didn't say, seek first some kind of order and security in your own little kingdom. Seek first harmonious circumstances. Seek first the ability to block out the threats to your peace. He said, seek first my kingdom, and I will increase peace for you everywhere else. You and I have been saved, delivered, redeemed, 
That means we are no longer at the mercy of this world, this life. We're not doomed to live without peace until we leave this earth. We can have peace now, but it involves us seeking his kingdom, knocking on the door of that huge castle, living in the reality of being members of that kingdom, our spirits being secure behind those walls as followers of Jesus Christ. And there's no working for this. Isn't that encouraging? Receive it and embrace it every day. This is your truth. Your eternity is secure. The love of God for you is sufficient. Your spirit dwells in an impenetrable fortress. It's Jesus' kingdom. Find your tranquility there. Find it there. Find rest there. If this isn't the biggest source of tranquility for us, we will spend our lives seeking tranquility in a troubled mind and heart, in a chaotic, uncontrollable environment, and we will fail. Chapel Hill, seek and find God's peace. Receive the peace of Jesus Christ. He's offering it to us and he longs to see us live there, rooted and established in that peace, equipped there to face whatever life is going to bring us. This is my prayer for us this Christmas season. The Prince of Peace came and he made a way for us to find peace within his kingdom. And I hope that every one of us finds that peace in the presence of God where we are secure, assured, safe, and tranquil. So go to that place. We're going to share communion together. We're going to celebrate the gift that we've received. Peace would not be possible without the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Peace begins with a reconciliation between us and God, and that reconciliation happened because Jesus willingly took our punishment on himself. Through that, you and I have been offered peace. So when you come to the table this morning, church, when you come to share in communion together, I want you to come with gratitude for this on your hearts. We often come, as, as we should, with gratitude to the table Come knowing that you have been reconciled to God. And because you've been reconciled to God, you have been placed by God in Christ, in his kingdom. Don't forget that. Don't go through the week trying desperately to find peace in your circumstances, peace in your heart and mind, without addressing the reality and bringing it back to mind first thing every day that you are secure in Christ. You have been placed in Christ. You dwell, your spirit dwells in God's kingdom. Seek first that kingdom. And let him, let Jesus increase the peace from there where you will find peace, you will find tranquility in the assurance of your salvation. And your salvation, my salvation, has been made possible through the body and blood of Jesus Christ.
He took our punishment on himself. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and stand clean before our God in his presence, in his peace. And from there, we'll learn together how to take that peace and apply it to our hearts and minds and to our circumstances. So pray with me for what God's going to do during this season. But this morning, come and remember that it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ that made this possible for us. It is the only way to have true peace through our salvation, through the assurance of who we are in Christ. And invite the elders to come now and prepare to serve and the worship team as well. I'm going to ask that you pray with me as we prepare too to share together. Let's pray. God, for many of us who have spent most of our lives at peace with you, being assured of our salvation, we forget sometimes that we were once separated from you, separated by our sin, by our sinful nature. But that you took care of that. You sent your son, the Prince of Peace, to bring reconciliation. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your compassionate love for us, that you would reach out to us in the, in the midst of our mess, in our chaotic circumstances where we can't find peace, in the turmoil that takes place in our, in our minds and in our hearts. And you invited us to come to you where we would find that peace that you offer, that peace that is really hard to understand because we can't physically do it. We can't travel to some place and see your face and touch your hand and receive that peace. We've, we've got to acknowledge the fact that we are spirits first and our spirits connect with your spirits. And when we are reconciled with you, with you when we have been saved through Christ, then, then we can know that our, our spirits are at peace with you then we can experience that tranquility that you give us. And I thank you that we can find it there. So Father God, will you please help us, remind us, encourage us, nudge us, grab us by the neck if you need to, but get us to that place where we're seeking first your kingdom and finding that there our spirits are at peace with you. And there is tranquility there. There is that peace that we need. We realize that you've offered us that. You've promised us that. This week, Lord, as we begin this Christmas season together, I pray that each one of us, our our experience as this season gets going, will be that we seek your kingdom that we trust you to add the experience of peace in the other areas of our lives. But first, we find that peace that you've given us in Christ, in your fortress, in your kingdom, face-to-face with the one with whom we've been reconciled, with you. And I thank you for making that all possible through the life, 
death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we come now to remember with gratitude the one who made it possible for us to have peace with you. We come to remember Jesus Christ. We come to remember through the bread his body that was given for us and took the punishment for us. We come to remember through the cup his blood that was poured out, spilled for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We come with gratitude. We thank you for this gift. We receive this gift. The peace that Jesus left is ours, and we thank you for it. And it's in his name that we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.